This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It has begun! Welcome to the Realmcast. I am the Mortal Kombat fan, Tim, and with me as always is the man whose knowledge of Raiden will spark your interest, our lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, fan Tim. And uh, with us today, we also have the CEO of Mortal Kombat fans, Tabmok99. Welcome, Tabmok. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, we're really glad to have you on today. Usually, whenever we bring a guest on, we like to ask them, who is their favorite character or Mortal Kombat game? Okay, well, um, I've got to break it down into two categories then. For the lore, I've got to say my favorite character is Scorpion. I always love the idea that this is a, a guy who's after revenge, but he's also got a sense of honor, and he wants what he really wants is to be reunited with his family and clan. But uh, for gameplay, especially in the old school games, it's Shang Tsung. I just love the ability to morph Ooh, and to mix yes. people up and be any character at any time. Classic Shang. Mortal Kombat 2 Shang Tsung was by far my favorite. Just yeah, he's switching a beast. at any time. Yeah. Yes, every and then at the end, every single fatality you've got access to, and most of the friendships. That's a great point. I I never even held my my morph on long enough to that use was those fatalities way too much them. memorization for me at that time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Tamak, tell us a little bit. How has Mortal Kombat affected you? Um, I mean, you already have a successful YouTube channel, but tell us a bit about your history with Mortal Kombat. Well, I've played Mortal Kombat since the very first one, since it was released on the home systems, uh, you know, Super Nintendo, Sega. Uh, so Mortal Kombat, since I grew up with it, since I played it from such a young age, it's basically like the window through which I view the world. You know, I view everything with a, through a Mortal Kombat filter, if you will. Um, so, yeah, like the, it got me into learning computers, learning how to build websites. Wow. Like the reason that I made the Combat Pavilion was basically... My interest in Mortal Kombat kind of led me there. Uh, so I learned like a little bit of programming, learned how to do, you know, now I've made the pivot to video. So I've got my YouTube channel. Um, I learned how to do video editing thanks to Mortal Kombat. So I'd really say that uh, all my all my computer skills, technical skills or anything else, uh, I owe to Mortal Kombat. And tell, uh, tell our fans a little bit more about the Combat Pavilion for those who aren't uh, that familiar with it. Okay, so the Combat Pavilion was a website that I started way back in the 90s. Um, and it's, I've never really taken it down. I've just kept it growing. Um, at some point it kind of turned into a site where people would send in their fan comics. They would send animations. Um, and I would collect comics from other places too. So like if people would post a comic on a discussion board somewhere or like post an animated GIF or a flash movie, um, I would make a, I would kind of copy it over to the combat pavilion and, you know, plus a lot of people would submit that stuff. Um, and it just kind of grew into this, this great site with, with a lot of wonderful fan-generated content. People made special intros just for the Combat Pavilion. Um, I would randomize it so that every time people landed on the splash page, it would show off a different intro. Uh, somebody made like an amazing uh, 404 file not found page for me, which was suggested by Dark Bishop. Um, and it was animated by a guy named Tim Reeves. And they just did great work. Speaking of Dark Bishop, I also did a lot of work with um, MK5.org. Uh, so the number one Mortal Kombat news site, now better known as Mortal Kombat Online. Uh, had a chance to go to a lot of cool events uh, in the industry. I went to things like E3, Midway Gamers Day, 
Game Stars Live, got a chance to do interviews with people like Ed Boone and some of the other developers. Um, so yeah, really had a had a long and, and fruitful Mortal Kombat career. The Pavilion was really part of me growing up with MK. Actually, I I think I found out about all the Mugens and stuff through it. I would just find random content through it. It's, it's been a it's been a great resource. Thank you for it. Oh, thank you, thank you. And I really have to say that that was kind of a love letter to all the other fan works uh, that were being created. You know, fan made games fan art fan comics just just so much great stuff out there that it was nice that all i really felt like i was doing was putting it all in one spot for everybody to kind of get it but there have been so many random things released over the years like screensavers and winamp skins and whatnot that uh, yeah i just wanted to collect it all and kind of make it easy for people to find everything that's so cool i didn't even realize that it was still up i didn't until now either actually <laughs> so i'm gonna have to go back and look at it now <laughs> yeah yeah i know it's still there you're still also heavily involved with Mortal Kombat Online, aren't you? Yes, yes. In fact, uh, the most recent thing we did was I got a chance to fly out to London and go to the Mortal Kombat 11 reveal party uh, for Mortal oh, Kombat nice. Online. I got a chance to interview Sean Hemmerich. Oh, you were there? Yeah, yeah. I got a chance to visit, uh, interview Sean Hemmerich there, um, Derek Herzig. Uh, just so much, so much fun stuff. In fact, my interview with Sean Hemmerich, or no, with Derek Herzig actually, was one of the first that talks about the possibility of MK11 introducing crossplay. And uh, sure enough, they went and did it. So um, before I jump into today's topics, quick question for you. How do you spell Raiden? Uh, well, there's two ways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the arcade, R-A-I-D-E-N, and of course for the home console, R-A-Y-D-E-N. How do you personally spell it? Because that's going to be an I. something that... With an I. Yeah, I have yeah. to agree. <laughs> but, but look, I know I'm... I might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but I know the topic. We're going to kind of cover some stuff like the Malibu comics. Uh, it's really mm-hmm. interesting because if you look at the, the split between the RAI camp and the RAY camp, the original comics by John Tobias had RAI. And in the Malibu comics, they switched it up with RAY because, you know, the readers would be more familiar with the home versions by that point. Although in, I think it was the Mortal Kombat 4 prequel comic. I think they spelt it with a Y for some reason. I, I, I noticed that. Yeah, and I think it because at that point they were trying to just uh, – it, it might be considered jarring to the readers who were familiar with the home versions that all of a sudden switch back to the arcade one. So they kind of kept it R-A-Y a little bit more. In fact, even if you look at the movies – if you let the credits scroll, you know, uh, R-A-Y for Raiden. Yeah. Really? In the You mean the original Mortal Kombat movie? Christopher Lambert – um, yeah, wow. and, and James Remar, even Mortal Kombat Conquest, yep. even with Jeff Meek. I'm sure if you asked him for a copy of the Mortal Kombat Conquest television script, if he still has it, and I hope he does, I'm sure they spell it R-A-Y. Now, for those of our fans who don't know this, the reason they end up changing on the home console is because there was already a game called Raiden, spelled R-A-I, and uh, in order to avoid legal disputes they went ahead and changed it to r-a-y exactly and they might have been you know a little bit overly cautious there yeah considering it's just one character you know but uh, he was supposed to be one of the big main ones right so exactly but even speaking legally i think it was taking it a bit too far (laughs) yeah it's funny and you know even uh even mortal kombat mythology sub-zero even they changed they kept it with a Mm. y for some reason like a claim was it was a claims decision originally a claim was the one that made that decision and even after the contract with the claim expired Midway just decided, you know what, let's just keep it going with R.A.Y. for a little while. So even in like Mortal Kombat 3, if you let the uh, on Super Nintendo or on Sega, Mega Drive or Genesis, if you let the intro cycle and it says, I've abandoned the Earth realm and it's now ruled by the Outworld gods, these are the words of Raiden. 
even there, they spell it R-A-Y. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, so I know it's just a simple question, and we really explored this deeply. We're on a tangent here. And well, I mean, this all kind of leads us into today's topic, which is how the supplemental material for Mortal Kombat, and especially like going straight into Malibu comics, how that has kind of affected the Mortal Kombat lore and everything else with Mortal Kombat from then on out. Yeah. And look, this is really a great topic. In fact, I was going to make a video all about that, but um, I'd rather do it here with you guys. (laughs) We'd rather that too. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess how, I mean, if you want to start from the beginning, how did Malibu comics shape the Mortal Kombat games? Um, I think one thing that, and you know, you never know if it's a coincidence or not a coincidence, you know, maybe they did inspire it directly. But one of my favorite things was that, in the Malibu comics, they had a Dragon King yep. before the games ever did. They called him Draxon instead of Onaga. But that was just, that was mind-blowing to me. When they first introduced Onaga, I was like, oh my god, this reminds me of the Malibu comics. Yes, and that was like in the uh, Raiden and Kano stuff, wasn't it? That's exactly right, yeah. He was only shown in the Raiden and Kano miniseries, the three-issue miniseries. But, um, Funnily enough, yeah. the, the fact that Draxon is mentioned in the Raiden and Kano uh, series, they also have Raiden sort of destroyed in a blast, right? And he rematerializes. And that's from <laughs> Deception as well. Yeah. <laughs> or in Deception, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it is in Deception. And not only that, but when he reappears, his, he's got a whole new outfit now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you gotta you got you got come back looking cute, right? <laughs> yeah, you gotta come back new and improved. <laughs> because in that comic, he was uh, wearing the MK1 outfit before, and then once he was blasted, he reformed with the MK2 outfit on. It's like, oh, so that's why Raiden's got a new costume. Shao Kahn just blew him up. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, in, in Deception, obviously, he comes back as Dark Raiden. So uh, that was a different, they went in a different direction with that. But man, the similarities are just there. They're un- undeniable. And um, I mean, you have a pretty good video on the entire Malibu run, which I highly recommend to our, our listeners. But um, something else you've mentioned was during the Raiden and Kano issue, they also had Raiden's servants, which were named Wind, who had control of the power of the wind, much like Fujin. And they also had a character named Rain. Um, Wind and Rain were these two female characters that kind of supported him and took care of Raiden. Yeah, exactly. Which but I think it was a really cool concept. And I, I wish we could have, would have seen something like that in the series as, I mean, as a so lore many, itself. There's so many different um, similarities with, with the official Mortal Kombat games lore, right? Like, first of all, visually, those girls looked kind of like Quan Chi's assassins. Yeah. They reminded me a lot of Serena, Jataka, uh, and Kia. But but then there's the fact that they have different elements that they control. Like, wow, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat hadn't introduced any other god characters at that point. Fujin would come later. Um, even the purple ninja, Rain, would come later. But look at, the, look at how much overlap there is between these two and, and what we ended up getting. So it really is kind of an astonishing thing. In the Special Forces comics, where they have Vapor come up before Smoke coming up in battle wave oh yeah that was before battle wave wasn't it yeah yeah now i think smoke was already a character uh an established character in the games by that point but since you mentioned mk special forces um think about the fact that later on we actually got a game called mk special forces yeah (laughs) malibu knew first to concentrate on that um and then there's one other one that was not possible for me to talk about when i did the malibu comics but we can talk about it now Um, when i did that video mk11 wasn't out yet so I showed a character named Grum who has six arms. And now, of course, in MK11, we've got Collector. They even look very similar 
even aside from the the six arms, but apart from the fact that he's red. Yeah, kind of. Now, Collector has like sort of two little baby arms that kind of hang out on his back. <laughs> um, and Grum looks more like a fully evolved Shokan, just with, you know, an extra pair. So so six arms total. But mm. yeah, the fact that there's a six arm character. Whew. Special Forces came out around the same time as Mortal Kombat 2, but uh, they had the character Torque in there. And I think there's another character somewhere throughout the Malibu run that had metal arms. Lance. Yeah, like how did they know to do metal arms before MK3 was out? Yeah, so you kind of wonder how much input did Midway and and Tobias and, and Boone have with these character designs? But I think during Battle Wave, Jax actually says, I got to get me some metal arms. Yeah, towards the end of the whole series, he does after Baraka chops up his arms. <laughs> but that, that was more kind of leading into Mortal Kombat 3, which by that point, I think they they had their designs. That was the final issue. Battle. That was the final issue. That battle wave number two. But you have to wonder, even way before that, with uh, with the MK Special Forces run, did they know something that the rest of us didn't, or was it just a big coincidence with the K? <laughs> One of my favorite parts throughout this entire series was Jack's. <laughs> he's uh, talking to somebody. I think it was Barack, and he's like, "Mama didn't raise no fool," <laughs> and. And then he's like, Mama Wanda Lee Briggs does that his, whole, his mom's whole thing before he beats Brock up. You know, I love that too. And it was great reading that because it's like, all right, with MK1, we got proper character bios. They introduced Liu Kang. Like they said, here's his known relatives. They'd say things like Lee Kang and mm-hmm. Lin Kang and, and his brother Chao Kang, whereabouts unknown. It's like, what? What is all this? For MK2, they kind of got away from that. And then Malibu yeah. brought it back by mentioning at least one of them, Wanda Lee Briggs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they should have done that more. There was something else, too, that kind of got established here was uh, Goro's father, Gorbak. And that's something that kind of carried over into other media. Uh, it carried into the Mortal Kombat X comic, kind of seeing that character for the first time here. Now, you know, I don't think Gorbak is a Malibu character. I think that's actually a John Tobias creation. Yeah. Because- oh, really? So he was introduced before all this. Yeah, so so Gorbak was obviously mentioned in the first original MK1 comic by John Tobias. Um, you know, like I said before, with the character bios, they mentioned that his father was King Gorbak and his mother was Queen Mai, and he's also got seven wives. That's like deep, deep MK trivia that's, that's long forgotten now. But in MK2, they actually showed Gorbak. So when Shao Kahn is like um, about to execute Shang Tsung, and Shang Tsung is begging for his life, you know, he's like, give me another chance and all that. Gorbak was right there saying, yeah, Shang Tsung deserves to die. He got Goro killed. Which I found ironic because the whole point of them was that their strength, right? So if, if Goro died, that's on Goro. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think. Everyone's responsible for their own destiny. Goro, if he lost the fight, you can't blame Shang Tsung for that. Exactly. No, I'm with you 100%. See, there were a couple other characters that I think definitely influenced the games going forward. Two of them were Zagat or Zagat. And um, his brother Abacus. Oh my God! The mm-hmm. God of Chaos was actually mentioned <laughs> in MK Deception, not by name. Oh, so I was curious about that. They actually mentioned the God of Chaos during Deception. They did. Yeah. Yep. There's. Uh, if you talk to some of the NPCs, they'll say uh, when you go into Chaos Realm, they'll say the God of Chaos unleashed the Tempest, which is you know the Tempest is like this um, weird thing in the middle of the stage, I guess, that kind of scrambles everyone's minds if you're. If you spend too much time in Chaos Realm, it'll scramble your mind, too. Um, so, yeah, the God of Chaos unleashed that. Bear in mind, they said all this backwards. <laughs> yeah, you have to read the text <laughs> on the bottom of the screen to get it. And I think that also went into influence the Chaos Realm and the Order Realm, of course. Because uh, Abacus even ha- like works out of a library of order or something like that. 
that he's kind of operating out of in, throughout the series. That's true. Uh, and not only that, Abacus and Zagat are kind of using the rest of the Mortal Kombat characters as a bunch of pawns, and they're literally playing like a cosmic chess game with them, which uh, kind of reminds me of chess combat. Chess yeah. combat, yes. <laughs> oh, I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> when when they got tired of chess combat, they would start playing Grand Theft Auto. Or, or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Grand Theft Auto, but maybe motor combat. For sure. <laughs> Yanni, I think you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, Smoke and Jade throughout this series. This was before there was any real lore established between the two of them. And they made them into these this pair of like a duo team that worked for Shao Kahn. Yeah, it was very interesting to see the difference in how the characters progressed. Yeah, it was. They they weren't the characters that we knew anymore. Um they were they were so different seeing the two of them work working together like that. Just the fact that Smoke wasn't uh, part of the Lin Kuei was a huge change, you know. It was, and especially, you know, they, they kind of deviated from the Tobias story a little bit here because Tobias had already established with the MK2 comic that Smoke is Lin Kuei. Uh, and that was actually ignored by pretty much everything else. Everyone, no one was was really paying attention to that until MK3 when it became truly canon. Uh, but even if you look at like the action figures, right, by released by Hasbro on the back of them, they had some cards with uh, character information and trivia and stuff like that. And with Smoke, they never said he was a Lin Kuei. They said oh. that he was like brainwashed by Shang Tsung. And uh, if you slice him in half, he becomes two warriors. <laughs> like he's literally made of smoke. So that was like a really fun difference for him. For, for me, it was just funny because every time, literally every time he turned up, he said toasty before he said anything else. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it was a little cheesy. They had to tie that in. Like everybody gave so much crap to the to the comic run for like characters talking in third person. If you're going to do anything, talk about the toasty. <laughs> You know who got the toasty thing right was um, MK Legends Scorpion's Revenge when Johnny Cage kills Baraka and he says yes. toasty afterward. <laughs> that actually fits. Also, th- something that's kind of made headlines recently, I've, I've seen a lot of news articles published about this, was that NetherRealm senior character artist Solomon Caton, he had released his design mock-up of Shao Kahn. And so a lot of media outlets for the first time have seen Shao Kahn without a mask and without his armor on. But for Mortal Kombat fans, yeah, without pants, yeah, without pants. <laughs> but for Mortal Kombat fans, this is not in that new of a design to us because we saw Shao Kahn without his helmet through pretty much every issue of the Malibu comics. That's right. Yep, that's right. And we saw it. Um, and if we've been paying very careful attention, we've seen it in MK Shaolin monks, right? We've seen it in some of the statues mm-hmm. and figures that have been released. Uh, we saw it, of course, in the original Mortal Kombat 2 comic by John Tobias, the Midway one. So, yeah, we knew what Shao Kahn was like under the helmet. I just feel like they took it a bit, well, a lot further with uh, sort of deforming him, you know, because now he's got so many like dragon-like elements to him rather than just looking a bit more monstrous in the past. Yeah, I think they took Shao Kahn in a different direction visually. Um, I'm not sure if all the Mortal Kombat fans are quite behind that. It almost seems like they didn't want to introduce Onaga so they just kind of made a version of Shao yeah. Kahn that's sort of a mishmash of Shao Kahn and Onaga together, which um, will take away from who Onaga is if they ever do want to reintroduce him into the series again. If they, exactly. if they ever want to give us an Onaga, he's going to be too similar to Shao Kahn. So I'm not really sure if that was the best choice. Also this, if you pay attention to all the character dialogue intros, there is one where I believe it's between Kitana and Raiden, where they mention that Shao Kahn has absorbed Onaga's power. And they're trying to give us a, an explanation for why Shao Kahn looks like this now, even though he didn't before. 
I have not seen that intro. Is, is that a new one? Like, has that been added with a patch? No, that was there from day one. Wow, how have I missed that one? You know, there's like a million intros. It's kind of hard <laughs> to keep on top of all. To be fair, as well, if you're if you're playing with somebody and you like, if you beat them and it restarts the match, for some reason they always seem to use the exact same dialogue intros. As far as I've experienced, <laughs> same thing with the actual uh, intro um, sort of cinematics. You know, and then the other problem is the other player a lot of times wants to just skip the fight, so you don't even get a chance to see him. Mm, true. That also ties in probably to um to one of our conversations on the last episode with how in the canceled Mortal Kombat X continuation of that story of the comic books, Goro actually absorbed Onaga's spirit. So I know that History Behind the Warrior has made a, a full breakdown of that story and I, I haven't watched the ending of it, so I wonder if Shao Kahn did end up getting that power in the comic book or, or the comic book that never got made. I feel like that would have been mentioned by Sean Kittleson when he spoke about it. You know, um, I've seen Sean Kittleson make some comments about this idea before. Um, basically, my understanding is he conceptualizes Shao Kahn, Onaga, Reptile, and all the Shao Kahn characters as being at least part reptilian. And so they would be like, compatible to be vessels for onaga's soul so onaga can't just consume anybody he consume he he, he can and he can be like embalmed in reptile soul which is what we saw happen in the old timeline mm. a, a reptile was undergoing this transformation he was already kind of destabilizing and bam onaga took over that was his opportunity to make his move but apparently he can find any host as long as they're part reptilian so yeah somebody like uh reptile of course would work now they're saying that shao Kahn is part dragon they're saying that Shokan would all be good hosts. So that's kind of where he was going for the MKX comic season two. Um, I think now, even in MK11, they're hinting that Liu Kang is possibly descended from Onaga. Like that, he's literally part dragon now. That's, that explains his dragon transformation. So, yeah, I, oh man, I, I hear that. I hear that sigh. I hear that exasperation. <laughs> you don't even need the words, man. It's, it's like what you said about um, diminishing the effect of Onaga. So just if, if firstly Liu Kang is descended from Onaga or if Shao Kahn is able to absorb Onaga's soul and then later becomes Onaga, that would really ruin the effect of Onaga returning to the series. Yeah, his entrance. That also kind of diminishes the the old series. Like that's one thing that while reading the Malibu comics, I really got a sense of how everything was established was it was the Earth Realmers versus the other realms. And like even Kano was on the Earth Realm team and he was a bad guy and he was like the villain of the Earth Realm team. But if he won, the Earth Realm was winning. And having all these characters kind of tie back into stuff outside of the Earth Realm now, it it takes away from that. It, it makes them no longer human yeah yeah well you know um you brought this up i'm kind of thinking about the malibu comics and i just got reminded of that whole issue where shao khan is marrying sonya and, oh <laughs> man <laughs> well oh, man. Reptiles, uh mind manipulation oh yeah yes. hypnosis <laughs> and shang Tsung was the best man <laughs> <laughs> literally introduces himself as the best man too <laughs> And I don't know why Melina wasn't the maid of honor, but, <laughs> oh, man. And in the Immortal Kombat movie, it seemed like for a while, Shang Tsung had designs on marrying Sonya. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yes, yes. And not only that, but also I think the whole Johnny Cage, Sonya Blade romance 
was something that was first kind of uh, dabbled with in the Malibu comics. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so they really kind of expanded on that in the movie. But for most people, that was like a brand new thing that nobody even realized that those two should be a couple. <laughs> yeah, the whole Johnny Cage, Sonya hooking up thing. I'd say Malibu definitely got got it right with that. I was just thinking about all the things that popped up with the Malibu comics. And I mean, one, one huge thing that we have missed out on is Hydro. Oh, yeah. yes. Do one of you guys want to give the background of Hydro? Because I feel like he's such a strong character in the sub-lore of Mortal Kombat. Okay, so Hydro, obviously his first appearance was the Malibu comics. They were the ones who invented him. He was like a, a Lin Kuei warrior who hung out with Sub-Zero uh, until Scorpion killed him. <laughs> and just to piss off Sub-Zero and just because he hates the Lin Kuei anyway. So Hydro was great. Um, I guess he had... Some people are calling him a cryomancer. Now, the word cryomancer wasn't really around back in the 90s in Mortal Kombat lore. We didn't really see that term anywhere. But uh, it's never really clear if he's using um, ice powers like Sub-Zero or if he's just using really, really cold water. But at any rate... (laughs) I was going to say, I've seen him (laughs) freeze somebody, but then you're right. It could just be really, really cold water. (laughs) (laughs) They they get the shivers. (laughs) You might might not stand completely still when you're frozen, but you're going to get hypothermia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, we saw Hydro in a lot of fan projects, too. We saw him in some Mugen games. We saw him in a Genesis hack called uh, Ultimate Mortal Kombat Trilogy. So, you know, that actually works on a Sega Genesis. I have the cartridge for oh, a wow. Sega. It's an unofficially produced one. Yeah, Hydro's in that. He, but, like, he's also in the Mugen games. Um, the first fan creation that put him, that, that had Hydro as a character, was actually this really old fan game for MS-DOS called SF Ninja or Street Fighter Ninja. And it was like a hack of, of Street Fighter IBM. So it used the Street Fighter engine with Mortal Kombat characters. Hydra was in that. Wow. But he became semi-official with Mortal Kombat Legacy. Yes. And they actually had Hydro as a cyborg. And that was the best fight in the entire show, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Dude, Hydro was amazing. And I think he actually get did he actually get like a unit number, like LK520 or something? I think he did. LK520 is actually Cyber Sub-Zero, but... No, it's, I'm thinking that, that Hydro got a designation, too, just like that. I'm going to search that up while we talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to know. But, uh, but Hydro's just been in so many places. How has this guy not made it into a game yet? Yeah, I think the biggest issue was because they introduced Rain. And uh, yep. Rain filled that that desire for a, a water ninja. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, I, I've got his, uh, his uh, unit number. And I kind of find it hilarious. 1v1. Yeah, because that was not a 1v1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a fair fight at all. <laughs> Wait, what was this? LK1v1. LK1v1. Yeah. Oh, I was hoping it'd be LKH2O or something. That would have been great. <laughs> really missed opportunity there. There are a couple of other little things that uh, pop up throughout uh, the Malibu comics, which, I, I mean, this this is a bit of a stretch, but we get a character called Henge, and he looks to be made of rocks and he does pretty much nothing but he does mention that he's apparently from the nightmare realm or something Mm -hmm. which is interesting when you when you look at tremor being made of well rocks or manipulating rocks and then has this whole thing with the dream realm the dream realm was something that was introduced in mk9 with freddy right so it seems that they wanted to bring in this dream realm which only existed in people's minds where freddy krueger could uh, get to you and they brought it back with tremor for mkx just for his ending and then a couple of intros so when Tremor goes to the Dream Realm on a mission for the Black Dragon, he somehow 
gains strength and becomes an earth elemental able to uh, take on, say, Fujin and uh, Raiden. That's cool. So the Dream Realm is canon now. Well, it's not been confirmed, has it? Well, yeah, Tremor spent time there. It's just an interesting thought because Tremors is the only person who has any mention of it other than uh, Freddy. So it's very weird to think about. And Tremor's a guest character too, so I guess he's not fully canon. I wouldn't consider Tremor a guest character. No, he's, <laughs> he's, he's definitely a he's definitely a Mortal Kombat original character. Yeah. I mean, John it's, Tobias first conceived of him for that Mortal Kombat Special Forces game we talked yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. Did he have anything else besides in Special Forces though? No, officially it was just in the Special Forces, and then uh, it. well, the MKX comics. Yeah, MKX comics as well as MKX itself. Yeah, you know, Tremor also showed up in Mortal Kombat. Uh, 2011 on the PlayStation Vita port. Yes. And the Challenge Towers. Yes, and the Challenge Towers. Yeah, so there is that. We don't want to leave the Vita port out. (laughs) (laughs) So all this traces back to... Henge. Henge. (laughs) (laughs) Who did nothing. (laughs) Literally just turned up, said, I am Henge from the Nightmare Realm, and then gets beaten. (laughs) No, yeah, this whole conversation hinges on that. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) I think Henge actually got beat up by my favorite character throughout the entire uh, Malibu series, which was Johnny Cage's bodyguard, (laughs) Bo. (laughs) (laughs) That was before there was ever a Bo Raichou. Which oh, another influence. Good point. Yep. I was leading into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who haven't read Malibu comics, Bo is basically a grow-sized human who wears sunglasses <laughs> and protects Johnny Cage because because Johnny Cage needs protection and a suit and a hat with the odd job I guess. hat. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Hollywood is really a brutal. <laughs> but the best part is he wasn't protecting Johnny at that time. He was protecting Liu Kang. <laughs> I, I don't think he protected Johnny throughout the entire series. I think yeah. Johnny just asked him to protect Liu Kang, <laughs> the Mortal Kombat champion. Now, there is one final thing I wanted to bring up that was uh, brought in, or at least mentioned. I'm not sure if this was, I guess it's before, the Dragon Medallion in uh, Battle Wave. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Dragon Medallion. Uh, Shao Kahn tasks everybody with getting the Dragon Medallion, and I don't think the Lin Kuei had ever any mention of the Dragon Medallion by this point in time. Yeah, you know, the Lin Kuei's Dragon Medallion and the one shown in the comics are completely different. They they have the same name. That's about it. Uh, but yeah, that is another point of, of uh, just the fact that they even have the same name in, in, yeah. in there. That's something. Oh, hey, speaking of the Dragon Medallion, I got to tell you that if you ever have seen Mortal Kombat The Live Tour, if you were lucky enough to have lived through that and participated by being an audience member in the Mortal Kombat Live Tour, there were actually six Dragon Medallions that the team was after, and they had to find all six uh, or else Earthrealm was doomed. Oh, that was the story from the live tour? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Uh, I was one of the lucky ones. Uh, I was, I was, gosh, I was just a kid. I was lucky enough to have my parents take me to that, and I got a chance to watch the whole thing, and it was so amazing. I loved it. That's awesome. You know what? That ties back into something else I'm about to tell you, but before I go into that, um, who was it that ended up getting the Dragon Medallion? Uh, it was Sub-Zero, Bihan, and then Scorpion killed him yep exactly yeah which uh mortal kombat mythologies <laughs> <laughs> hey you're right yep so that whole series ends up with uh the the new sub-zero taking over and leading into mortal kombat 3 which of course it wasn't matching up with mortal kombat 3's story it also didn't match up with um, baraka's run because noob cybot turns up in that run did he yeah and that's before bihan actually dies yeah now obviously they weren't uh considered the same character until later. 
that was a decision made later, but it's still pretty interesting to look at. Back on the topic of the Mortal Kombat live action show, I don't know if you guys realize this, but one of the actors who played Jax is Hakeem the Machine Alston. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, huge into martial arts. He was in the USA karate team in like 1984 to 1990. He went on to play the braided, we used to call him the tiger guy in the Mortal Kombat movie. Um, the one that fights with the bow staffs against Liu Kang. Oh, yep. okay. Yep, he was jacked in the live tour. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I had no idea. I, I found a picture of him just yesterday, and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> now, those arms that he's wearing in that photo, they're not the best, are they? <laughs> it was like it was like sleeves that he slid on. <laughs> I think I have something similar, like a fake tattoo sleeve. Yeah, they could definitely do better than that. <laughs> so Mortal Kombat the movie. I mean, we could go on for ages of how that impacted the the rest of the series. Well, I think first and foremost, the most significant uh, impact that you can see that it had on the games was the portrayal of Kano. Yeah, his yes. nationality has yes. totally changed because of because of what that movie portrayed him. Yeah, even in the Malibu comics, he was portrayed as a orphan from Hong Kong who fell into the Black Dragon, but now he's Australian. And the change fits him quite well. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think they're ever going to walk that one back. No, I don't think so. I feel like it's a good change, too, because it's kind of an homage to Trevor Goddard, rest in peace, yeah. because he, he did such an incredible portrayal of Kano throughout the entire movie. Oh, yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Give me a break. The quote, guys. It's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, Yanni, that's super insensitive. <laughs> uh, it's all right. I studied all your moves. <laughs> Study this. <laughs> well, uh, that brings us to, I guess, Sonia, too, uh, which I, th- I feel inspired a lot of, well, Shang Tsung, uh, which you can see oh, yeah. in MK11. Yeah, with Shang Tsung, obviously... Um, once they brought Kerry Tagawa back and just said, okay, well, now he's exactly like he was in the movie. That's the hell he is in the game. He's the same guy. Not just inspiration, but just literally dropped him right in. Yeah, and um, it fits yeah, perfectly. It, yeah, it was awesome. I think also for Mortal Kombat 11 too, he played a mix of both characters, in my opinion. Um, he was the, you know, the villainous serpent, but at the same time, he was kind of the Shang Tsung that we're used to from the video games, manipulating things and doing things behind the scenes that you're not really sure, making different arrangements that you, you don't see come to fruitation until there is a deadly alliance in your face and a deception. <laughs> you just wanted to throw true. all those names into it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, true. I mean, in this one, it, in MK11 and especially, well, of course, obviously with Aftermath, you really have a chance to see Shang Tsung's um, scheming side a lot more than than they usually have a chance to go into in the games and i think kerry tagawa pulled that off in a way that the movies didn't really have a chance to and hey just a reminder kerry was also shang sung in mortal kombat legacy yes yes that's right yep in the second season anyway not in for you know the, they had somebody else in season one but in and when they had him as shang sung and he's like it has begun <laughs> That was freaking amazing. <laughs> it was. He just put the shaved head and everything. Yeah. yeah it was, like it totally, was awesome. It's like totally different guy, and yet it's exactly the same. <laughs> well, he can he can ship a shapeshift, so he can be whoever they want him to be. Shang Tsung inevitably shapeshifts into Kerry Tagawa in every timeline. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> How about the fact that Liu Kang and Katana uh, are a couple? 
We never yes, really that's saw right. that until, yeah. until the movies. Yeah, and Malibu didn't explore that at all either. Well, so Malibu kind of seemed to explore Kung Lao and Kitana slightly, like very like hinting at it, and then going into it in his solo uh, series as well. Well, the solo issue basically, where Shang Tsung has turned up and is taking on everybody's form, and then he comes up as Kitana, and it seems to get a little bit uh, heated in a steamy way but uh well i didn't read that one you, you need to elaborate or i got a mental image right now. <laughs> okay no nothing actually happens but uh, so kung lao is sitting there meditating and he's in outworld on his own because he's been banished there and everybody that he's apparently just allied with so baraka um kitana sub-zero turns up to him and then they say some stuff and he sort of pushes them out of his mind or he fights with them or something. And then Kitana turns up and she, she tries to get romantic with him. And he also pushes her away after being tempted. And then you see her turn into Shang Tsung. Yeah. Well, you don't right. see it, see it, right? Like everything's kind of foggy. and it's always... <laughs> True. Yep. We don't know what happened. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> Just leaving that image but there you know, for, for his phantom. part. For his part, Kung Lao doesn't seem interested at all. But at the same time, there was a little bit of hinting in a previous issue, which I can't really remember where when it was. It was the bit where they're all they're all sort of um, talking together, and reptile turns up. But this is uh, this is just from memory, to be honest. And it, obviously, you could understand it differently. It's up to your interpretation, really. Yeah, yeah, it might be one of those things where um, people read it a little bit differently. Some people might get that. I don't think I quite picked up on a Kung Lao Katana coupling, but maybe. Um, I think because Liu Kang is the champion and, and maybe Katana deserves a little bit better. She doesn't shouldn't get the second runner up. <laughs> Sorry, Kung Lao. Sorry, Kung Lao, but you know it's true, buddy. She has a sister. <laughs> <laughs> so Mortal Kombat the movie, it also came out with the the journey begins it was so poorly animated and there was not any anything really new that came with that it, it really took a lot from the movie itself yeah but can mm -hmm. i just point out one thing mm -hmm. mortal kombat the journey begins had mortal kombat characters in 3d before the games ever did true yeah it wasn't the best 3d uh, and, no. and we got the gray kung lao with a hat so that was kind of cool yeah that was pretty <laughs> that's cool right and that's that right and mk conquest did that too i was just gonna say exactly mm -hmm. yeah for about five seconds there was one more um little thing which is kind of i don't want to talk about it because i don't want them to run with this but uh the uh, annihilation did shao khan and raiden as brothers and that was touched on in mk versus dc but only there that's right that's right that was the one game that hinted that raiden and shao khan are brothers and they've never touched on that again hallelujah um, <laughs> I, I guess we can just discard that i'll be honest the idea of raiden and shao khan being brothers could have actually been really cool it's just that the rest of Annihilation was already kind of so uh, not cool that the idea has been tainted. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Annihilation is what caused them not to continue with that plot point um, more than anything else. Yeah, it could have been cool. And then, you know, there's people who kind of confuse the game's canon with the movie's canon and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, they, it should be kept separate because now when people are watching MK11, uh, they're thinking, oh, wow, so Raiden just decapitated Shinnok. 
that's his father he's decapitating. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. There are fates worse than death. Where was the first time that was mentioned? Uh, that was Katana and Scorpion's conversation in Mortal Kombat Tournament Edition number one. That's just going off That's the top right. of my head. Yeah, so it's from the Malibu yeah, comics. Yeah, was. That was a Malibu. Yeah, Scorpion actually proposed to Katana. So that's a couple like we never <laughs> saw. <laughs> <laughs> and Scorpion was pretty much evil through in the entire Malibu series, which is not the anti-hero character that we're used to. His backstory was very different whilst maintaining some similarities, though. That's true. Hey, there was one other thing that we should probably revisit before we move on. Um, We never discussed the Mortal Kombat novel by Jeff Rovin. Oh, was that the uh, based off the movie? No, it it predates the movie. Oh. Um, So I read it. I read it when I was a kid. That was probably the biggest book that I ever read at the time. Um, <laughs> you just kind of blew my mind. Do you guys know anything about this? Do you guys I, know I've never heard of novel? this. No. No? Okay. I thought it was just uh, based on the movie, but now what you're saying is something different. So, yeah, you blow my mind, too. <laughs> okay. There's, there's, there's like at least five different Mortal Kombat books that you can sit down and read in English, um, in the English language. There's more in other languages, but uh, we won't get into that. The point is, with the MK novel by Jeff Rovin, they opened up with a Chinese myth about a being named Pan Ku, and he's kind of like the progenitor to all there is in the universe. So he was like the first thing that ever popped into existence. And when he died, his body and his organs kind of became the realms as we know them. So Ooh. his left eye became the moon and his right eye became the sun. Um, and the four chambers of his heart became like four different worlds, including Earth, Outworld the realm of the gods and the realm of the dead. Those are the four realms that they had in the novel. Um, And it just like, there's not a whole lot about this novel that really reminds me of anything else in the games, except for the pan coup part, because that's almost the story of the one being. The one being, yeah. Yeah, wow. Who who was the author of this book? Oh, okay, I'm glad you asked that. The author is named Jeff Rovin. It might be pronounced Jeff Rovin. Uh, If you don't know who he is, he is actually a pretty big time uh, video game author like that's kind of the niche that he fell into he he's he used to write a lot of j- joke books so i had a lot of joke books by him by the kid he also wrote some strategy guides like how to beat super mario brothers but he's mainly known for uh, being the author of a bunch of tom clancy's novelizations so hmm. a lot of stuff to do with the whole rainbow six series okay uh, a lot of books that he adapted and the crazy thing is i found out later he worked for the Clinton administration, and he was known as being the fixer. So anytime there's going to be some bad article about the Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton or whatever in the news, Jeff Rovin would go and fix that for them. So what he would do is he would find some other story that he would tell – you'd pitch to the press. and be like, look, if you kill the story in the Clintons, here's an even juicier story that I'm going to give you details on. So he did that for them, and I guess it's – if you could get an interview with Jeff Rovin, that would be amazing – but uh, he was interviewed like by big time. He was on like Sean, the Sean Hannity show and stuff like that. Um, I would love to talk to him just about the Mortal Kombat novel, but I don't think he's he's reachable at this point. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, especially wow. with those claims. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. I, and to think this all ties into Mortal Kombat yeah. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And you know, Jeff Rovin, um, he actually came up. If you read the book, he came up with a different name for Scorpion. He never came up with another name for Sub-Zero, but he did for Scorpion. So Scorpion was kind of like the good guy in his book. It was the opposite of the Malibu comics. So Scorpion was a guy named Yong Park. And when Sub-Zero killed him, um, he wasn't really a member of another ninja clan or anything like that. He was a former Lin Kuei who had just retired. He wanted to live in peace with his wife and son, and nobody was allowed to leave the clan. So Sub-Zero tracked him down, 
and killed him right in front of his son. <laughs> Technically, that um, is sort of the origin of the Shirayu anyway. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Wow. That's another influence. You're right. Just 500 years earlier. <laughs> wow. That is, I didn't expect to find that sort of influence there. That's out of the blue. Yeah, definitely, man. You know, you can kind of see these influences. They come from a number of surprising places. So I got to make sure to add that to my my reading list. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. <laughs> Audible is... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't realize we had a sponsor for this episode. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of, if you do have an Audible account, you should seriously check out Philip An's book. He's the guy who played Shang Tsung, mm, the yes. one that we agreed was our favorite character to use. Yeah, he, Mortal he Doctor. Yeah. He wrote a book called Mortal Doctor, and the audio book is actually available on Audible. So there you go. Awesome. I've seen he's been doing some great stuff during uh, the crisis, by the way. So it's, it's nice to see that. Dude, he's an awesome doctor. He's saving patients' lives. It beats stealing their souls, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> after, of course, after the original movie, we had The Journey Begins. But then we went straight into uh, Defenders of the Realm, which was really interesting because it kind of took place between Mortal Kombat two and mortal kombat three but it was based on like the mortal kombat three timeline and they added quite a bit to the story and it was it was a follow-up to the movie because they would actually show scenes from the movie of course animated though and and made at a more pg version of it yeah i would love that so to me the way it read was this is a sequel to the mortal kombat movie and Mm -hmm. it's going to sort of be placed loosely in the mk3 timeline because they're all wearing mk3 costumes so yeah exactly you get the hint that you missed out on something you get the hint that between the movie and the first episode there's something that we missed we just can't quite figure out what it is and and the whole series i mean it's called defenders of the realm and pretty much every episode they're defending earth realm or another realm which was an interesting concept because they explored quite a bit of realms throughout that series yeah oh i loved it they had um ilkhan Right. They had. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they showed the Terra and they had Zah, which was Rain's realm when Rain showed up. Yeah, that's right. No, no, Rain was still in Edenian, but right. He he was now doing something in the realm of Zah. Yeah, that's where he had led the uh, like the underground resistance or something like that. But I speaking of Defenders of the Realm, I think the biggest influence on the games has been their wolf Kiva. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because they ended up using that throughout the, the new games. Yeah. So in the new one, they changed the spelling and the pronunciation. It's now Kiva instead of Kiva. But obviously, the, the inspiration was there. I don't remember Defenders of the Realm too much. Uh, I, I actually watched the episodes in random orders you know, a long time ago. But what you've mentioned about Rain leading the resistance, that ties into his uh, bio now. Yeah. Now, also in the show, Rain was Katana's ex fiance. Um, did that tie it all into the games? No, although I'm sure a lot of people shipped them for a while. No, they never <laughs> or anything like that. As well as Rain, we also got to see Cyrix and Sector and Smoke. Um, and on that episode, we actually got to see the human forms of them, where Sector was actually depicted as a as a black character, and Cyrax was depicted as a Caucasian. And um, those two roles kind of reversed later on in like Mortal Kombat 4 or Mortal Kombat Gold, I think it was, when yeah, uh, it was gold. Cyrax was finally unmasked. I, I thought that was pretty cool that they were starting to add that that diversity into the uh, the characters in that animated series. Yeah, I think definitely the Defenders of the Realm was the first one to pitch the idea like, hey, what if all these characters looked different underneath? Yes. And the idea of Cyrax being black, I think definitely was inspired by Defenders of the Realm having Sector being black. 
Yeah, and this was the first time that we could see the human form of the cyber Lin Kuei. Oh, wait, no, this was 96, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. Yep, they beat the games to the punch on that one. Huh. Um, you know, they also beat the games to the punch on having Quan Chi as a character. Yes. Like, they actually, yes. actually managed to show up in Defenders of the Realm first. So John Tobias finally tweeted about that not too long ago, and he said that uh, he was working on the character, and, and Quan, you know, Quan Chi was a John Tobias creation, but he shared everything that he could with the with the designers and the animators of the cartoon show, and they got to market before Mythologies did. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, on that topic, I'm so happy to see Tobias tweeting more and more often about MK. It's nice to get his insight into the little things that we've been asking about for a while. Yeah, it really is. He even answered a few questions of mine recently. Like I was asking him stuff about, uh, you know, the battle between the gods that they mentioned in MK Mythologies, and is that the ah, same yes, one I saw that? Those. Uh, destroyed the Terra's race. Yeah, and he answered some stuff about Sub-Zero Scar. Like, he's really open with the fans. I think John Tobias is great. You know, if you're a lore guy, you pretty much have to thank everything that you love about Mortal Kombat. You pretty much have John Tobias to thank for that. Yeah. He's kind of the creator of all of that stuff. That was all his brainchild. I, for me, it's it's all Tobias and all Vogel in terms of lore, you know? Yes. They're the backbones. Um, I mean, Tobias especially is the backbone of the entire series. Everything branched off of what he designed. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I think Vogel did a very good job of taking what he did and, and expanding on it. Yep. And I think every everybody since then has sort of been trying to recapture that magic and maybe putting a new twist on it. But those are really the guys that, that came up with everything that, that there is in, in Mortal Kombat. So also in uh, Defenders of the Realm, we got to see a red female ninja. Ruby. Yeah, Ruby. Ruby was in Defenders of the Realm. And wasn't Ruby also the codename for Scarlet at some point? fans were using Ruby it or something sort of was one of the things that i think led to the rumors of scarlet because uh, there was also the glitch right with kitana turning up looking red if i remember correctly but i feel like this added to it you know there were rumors about um an ermac glitch and there were rumors about a scarlet glitch those have been unsubstantiated no one's been able to reproduce those glitches so uh, ah. they're probably just rumors but uh, I think the name Scarlet was actually what fans were using even before Defenders of the Realm was a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, there were some posts online in 1994, I think, talking about Scarlet. Um, so the fans were really into the, <laughs> to the fake news even back then. <laughs> well, I mean, that was part of the fun, in my opinion, back then. Like, yeah, talking about all these rumors and seeing what was true, what wasn't true. I, I, I remember even, even just during Deception, I remember searching everywhere like online and in game for a way to play rain because somebody mentioned online on a forum that there was a play a way to play rain even today it still factors in a lot like a lot of the fake leaks that come out all the yeah. time i mean fans jump on it they're excited to see what could possibly come out next with the game yeah like is kano's son dominic gonna be in there <laughs> yeah, I, w I would love to see that, actually. <laughs> For the record, I would not. Out of all the combat kids. <laughs> we have enough, we have enough uh, combat kids and Black Dragon. <laughs> so speaking of Kano, um, in Defenders of the Realm, this, this solidified the Australian accent. They actually played him as an Australian in that show. Yeah, now that made sense because obviously it's a follow-up to the movie, right? So of course they're going to keep mm -hmm. him Australian. Um, but I think the first game that actually kind of solidified that was really Mortal Kombat Deception when you got to play through Conquest mode and you got to interact with Kano, you know, playing as Shujinko, mm. and you see Kano for the first time. He's like, okay, what's he gonna sound like? Are they gonna go with the games or the, with the previous games? Are they gonna go with the movies? And bam, they settled on Australian. It's like, okay, that answers that. I like to think that he is an Australian who is orphaned in Hong Kong 
joined the Black Dragon, but maintained his accent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that he grew up in a lot of different places, and Australia was, yeah. was the main place. Yeah. <laughs> After Defenders of the Realm came out, we got Mortal Kombat Conquest, which... For those listeners who haven't listened to our latest episode with Jeffrey Meek, we dove highly into this. But let's talk about some of the influence from Conquest into the uh, video games. I guess for starters, we could talk about the Master Cho I was going to say that too. Yeah, exactly. We had Bo and now we have Cho. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how is there a Bo Rai Cho in the games? And there was also a Master Cho. And, you know, they're both masters. Like, that's just a coincidence or what? I know you... You guys know that the name Boracho was supposed to have come from the Spanish Borracho. word uh, Boraco from drunk. Yeah. So I don't know if this is a coincidence or if, if somebody who was working on the games saw the TV show and said, I have a way I can sneak this in there. Did um, Master Cho carry over any, any other similarities to Boracho? Well, he taught the great Kung Lao a little bit. Um, and I guess he had some form of ties to Outworld in a way, which you could relate both to Boracho with Liu Kang as well as his origin actually being outworld yeah there was a lot of stuff though he was very different i mean first of all he didn't seem to drink any alcohol <laughs> you know it's kind of bo Raicho's whole thing yeah. uh i don't think i don't remember him farting in that episode do you i do not know no, <laughs> so there's a few differences there but the main thing i would say is master cho would steal people's life force yes he said he's not like shang sung he's not going to steal their souls he's just going to take their life force so that he can make himself live a little bit longer but they had Master Cho being the one who taught him, taught Shang Tsung in uh, Conquest how to do that. That's right. And, you know, that kind of ties into this, the life force slash soul stealing, how they're, they're kind of different, but they can be used together. Um, like we saw in Mortal Kombat 11. Yes. Yeah. So in Mortal Kombat 11, they don't really go into the the technical differences between like a stealing life force and stealing a soul. But there was something about Raiden and Fujin being gods shang sung says if you keep make sure to keep them alive and you can drain them for all eternity like uh yeah, yeah. you want to talk about how there's fates worse than death that would be one mm-hmm. although uh, i feel like shinnok is the prime example of that to be honest oh yeah <laughs> without a question yeah shinnok definitely got ahead of us on that one. <laughs> you know I, I started this episode with a pun and now i'm starting to regret it a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yep, this is all your fault. <laughs> well, I mean, just the, the sort of backgrounds to the Lin Kuei and the Shirai Ryu, just how, how they sort of came intertwined in the story, as well as like the Lin Kuei kidnapping their members, from what it seemed like. Um, I don't remember if that was stated by that point in time. It was 1998, but that was something that really stuck with the Lin Kuei for a while as well. The, the forming of the Shirai Ryu was... Well, completely different in this case, as well as Scorpion's actual origin being, you know, a soul inside of a scorpion. But uh, it's, it's still <laughs> interesting to look back and see how they came together and how the rivalry was presented in Conquest itself. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch the whole Scorpion and uh, Sub-Zero fights. Um, obviously, Scorpion and Sub-Zero are much older characters in MK Conquest. And that's kind of a risk that writers take when they make a sequel. Uh, I'm sorry, with a prequel is that they have to change the origin of some of your favorite established characters in order to make them show up in a time period where they really shouldn't have existed yet. Yeah, I just don't think you could have left those two out. No, no, I mean, they found a way to put the... Obviously, the Lin Kuei uh, had a reason to exist back then. They're an ancient clan, and, you know, this year every year we're an ancient clan, but they really wanted to make sure they we knew it was Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Those names had to be used. 
It's too bad because this would have been a great way to introduce the code name Tundra or the code name Sub Zero as a designator for a, a special Linkway warrior because. In the series, Sub-Zero acquired his power through the Linkway by submerging his hands in freezing cold water. Oh, no, and then no. That was, uh, that was just a form of training for him. Was it? He apparently had the, the lineage already, and Sub-Zero was a codename given to him when he passed the training. So, but still, I mean, it could have been somebody else besides Bihan. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, no, remember, the name Bihan hadn't been established yet, so of course it wasn't him. And also on that show, remember, they had Noob Saibot. Noob Saibot. Uh, was a completely different character as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. He was like the essence of a warrior trapped in a jar of oil. I always imagined him as kind of being like made of shadows, and I thought that was sort of the reason why he was all black, and he was so hard to see against Goro's lair in MK2. But in MK Conquest, I took Noob Saibot in a completely different direction by having him really having his whole essence be oily. Exactly, yeah. And the oil design factors in a lot into the new games. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. So pretty much they've used both the shadow and the oily, oiliness <laughs> with, uh, with uh, how he plays. Absolutely. So you can see it. If you watch the MK Conquest episode with Noob Saibot, you can kind of see how the games have changed as a result of that. He was very brutal in Conquest. I remember him being very aggressive. Not very likable. No, not at all. Not a very likable character. You really wanted to see him lose. <laughs> you know how sometimes they make the villains sympathetic and you can kind of see where the villains are coming from? Not new. Yeah, he was very brutish. It was it was interesting. An interesting take on him, honestly. It was cool to see him. I just wish we actually got that smoke teaser, although we're getting off topic now. But yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Wasn't there going to be an episode called Smoked Ice? I think so. I, I seem to recall that. Either either smoke or smoked ice. Yeah, we never did quite get that. We saw smoke for like five five seconds at the tail end of an episode and then never again. I, I, I feel like there's a bit of an illusion with Siro um, and Taja as well as Johnny and Sonia in a way, kind of, with how they were sort of partnering up or grouping up with uh, Liu Kang and the great Kung Lao. But I'll tell you what, if you really want to see the influence this had, have you read the Mortal Kombat X comics? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is a part where it says something like many conquests ago, and then they show the Koreans. Yes. And it's like, wait a minute, Korea and the Koreans, that was, those were a character established in MK Conquest. And for them to even use the word many conquests ago, oh, they know exactly what they're doing there. <laughs> well, that, that was going to be somebody that I brought up, Korea or the, the Koreans, which I feel are mirrored by the Khitans. A lot, a lot. They're, insect ba- they're an insect-based race. Yeah. How they're all like protecting the hive and everything, the queen. But, you know, the similarities are there. I just thought it was interesting that even though in the games they established the Kai Tin, in, that, in those MKX comics, they established that the Kai Tin and the Koreans both exist side by side. That's cool. And, and the, the games are officials, so that makes them legit lore. I think they were a very cool piece of lore anyway, so I, I'm happy for them to be canon. I was so excited when I saw their introduction. We also had Quan Chi and Shang Tsung throughout Conquest where, you know, they were sort of mainstays in the in the actual episodes. But we actually saw them team up in an episode called Unholy Alliance. Yeah, that definitely seems like a precursor to Deadly Alliance. I mean, when they announced at Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance and that Shang Tsung and Quan Chi were going to be the bosses together immediately my mind went to the episode of MK Conquest. Exactly, yeah. But uh, hey, you want to know something else? If you read the MK Mythology's instruction booklet, uh, Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero, you'll see that Quan Chi and Shang Tsung have actually teamed up before, even before MK Conquest. What does it say? Yeah. So what happened was the deal they had going on was um, after Shang Tsung killed the great Kung Lao and stole his soul, 
he got his memories. He got access to his memories. He could see everything that was in his soul, and he knew where the map of elements was. Oh, And yes. he knew that Quan Chi would want this information. So they made a bargain. Shang Tsung would give Quan Chi access to the map of elements, tell him where it is. And in return, Quan Chi would take Shin, uh, Sindel's soul, and with Shinnok, they would taint it with evil so that she could one day be resurrected on Earthrealm. The lore for Mortal Kombat is amazing. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm saying. You find the lore in like the most random places. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You, you, if you just look through it, there's so much good stuff. In there. there was also well, my final uh, bit from Conquest, really, which was uh, the Cobalt Mines of the Shokun. Yes. In fact, we got to go back even, for, even more. Um, the Cobalt Mines of Shokun were first mentioned in... Uh, the journey begins. They were in the they were in Malibu comics too. Well, not the Malibu comics. They they made its way into the MK4 comic, but it was really in the journey begins first. Really? Yeah, that's where Shang Tsung was banished to the Cobalt Mines of Shokan. That that whole subplot for for the whole plot of MK Conquest was Shang Tsung's banishment to the Cobalt Mines of Shokan. Yes, exactly. And it was actually really cool to see them. And that was just one sentence mentioned in uh, The Journey Begins. And, it, and Raiden says that it was there that many years later he met Prince Goro, and that's where the two of them teamed up. Huh. But MK Conquest really, really showed us how it all works. I mean, Cobalt was basically like the Outworld's version of Kryptonite, yeah. where it took away Outworlder's magic. I mean, that's all you need to do if you're an Earthrealmer. If you want to win Mortal Kombat, just bring a bunch of Cobalt with you. You're the champion. <laughs> Take this Superman. What? <laughs> oh, that's one thing I don't think they'll ever bring into the games. Just having good guys win using Cobalt. It's, it's really weird because I'm, try, I'm trying to think back now. I, I, was, I was so sure that the Cobalt Mines were mentioned prior to the MK4 comic. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, look into it. But as far as I know, and I've kind of looked into it a little bit already... The Cobalt Mines were first mentioned in Defender of the Realm, and then next in, uh, well, and then there's the MK4 comic where Reptile was banished, and MK Conquest where they showed Shang Tsung's banishment. And that was basically it. Those huh. were the three, three references to the Cobalt Mines of Shokan. I mean, I trust you, if anyone, on this stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this helps, but I also used to drive a Chevy Cobalt, so there's that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm not. I'm not even going to do my research after this. That's it. <laughs> well, how about we uh, move into legacy now? Well, we have touched on it already, but uh, there were still a couple of things that we haven't really mentioned. We've gone through Hydro, but yes. Well, there was the whole retelling of Scorpion's family and clan, the legacy yeah, version. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I think I kind of prefer the original one from MK Mythologies Sub Zero, but um, but Legacies was you know it was good too. It was a cool different take on things. That whole origin, too, has kind of cemented itself now in Mortal Kombat lore, the, the legacy's Scorpion origin. Yeah, it really has. I mean, you kind of saw the retelling that Quan Chi did as a flashback in MK9 when he was manipulating Scorpion. Mm -hmm. You kind of saw what looked to be something very similar to MK Legacy's retelling. Um, and then, of course, we had the more recent uh, animated feature, Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge. Yeah. Which I think was actually better than MK Legacy's retelling. What do you guys think, if you had to rank them? Uh, oh, uh, I see. I like seeing live action people fight. Okay. Yeah, and, and I, I'm a fan of Kevin's work, but as a whole, I wasn't a big Legacies fan, but as individual episodes, I, I did like this Scorpion Sub-Zero yeah, one. Yeah, I really did like this these specific episodes, and I, I, I feel like I agree that uh, Scorpion's original 
origin fits way better. So I, I would prefer not to see this taken in as the new canon. So MK Mythologies is number one for all of us, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. Mythologies was hated on by a lot of the fans, now rightly so in terms of gameplay, but it really provided us with so much in terms of lore that we really have to appreciate it, in my opinion. Yeah, I really think you do too. I think the lore for that game was the best. I think the cutscenes were so much fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Really, I think that the cutscenes in MK Mythology Sub-Zero were so well done. It was definitely better than MK Annihilation. Oh, definitely. I mean, I have replayed the one scene where Sub-Zero is captured and Scorpion turns up. He's like, don't bother worrying about escape. You know, that that whole thing. (laughs) It's just, I'm Scorpion, you've killed me in cold blood. I've replayed that so many times that my flatmates in uni hated me. Just (laughs) every time they heard that video, they were like, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. No, that was, it was great. But um, something, going back to MK Legacy now, something where it inspired the games was Scorpion's mask in that one. That episode with Scorpion's Mask, you know, you can use that as a customizable skin now. It's amazing. I'm, I'm trying to think. It's definitely influenced by that. But uh, as far as I know, the only one that we have close to it in MK11 is it's sort of got teeth on it, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's that sort of style. I, I do hope that we actually get a legacy version. That would be really cool because it is slightly different. You, you know, it is different. And I might be thinking more of something like one of Kenshi's masks or something like that. It looks exactly yes, like that's Scorpion's. It. That's yeah. it. It's Kenshi's. Kenshi's mask looks exactly like MK uh, MK Legacy's scorpion mask, but I freaking yeah. love it. Ron- Ronan Kenshi. That was it. Ronan Kenshi. That's it. Ronan Kenshi. You reminded yeah. me. <laughs> it does look awesome. I really hope that they would give that to Scorpion and MK11. That's really cool. Yeah, well, you know, nowadays with DLC and patches and stuff like that, anything's possible. Let's hope. Let's hope. I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but reintroducing Kerry Tagawa as... Shang Tsung in the second season of Legacy. I think that's what kind of cemented him to come back for the video games. Yes. Oh, I think so too. Yeah, he was just establishing himself as the Shang Tsung in all medium. Yeah. And he tied it to a very interesting contrast between Liu Kang and Kung Lao and how it's been done differently from, well, all other forms of media where, where Liu is the arrogant one who loses his way as compared to Kung Lao. I really think that the Liu Kang, Liu Kang story wasn't given justice. I mean, he was obviously yeah. Liu Kang was in a dark place there, but yeah, and Kung Lao was the one of peace, and it really that role reversal was a little, little jarring. I think they probably should have done yeah. it the other way. I mean, I get it that it's boring to see the same old story told over and over again, but but um, it's established. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Hey, you know what? Going back to Kerry Tagawa and his performance as Shang Tsung and everything like that. Did you catch one of the intro dialogues in Mortal Kombat 11? He mentions Master Boyd. Really? Yeah, he's fi- if you fight with Shang Tsung against Johnny Cage in one of the intro dialogues, Shang Tsung will say, uh, Master Boyd sends his regards. And Johnny Cage is like, you killed him, didn't you? How have I not? Ne- Shang Tsung's <laughs> my main in Mortal Kombat 11. How have I not heard this? <laughs> Dude, at some point, if you really want to catch it all, Either go to MK Warehouse and read them, or just go on YouTube and watch one of those videos where they show like all the character dialogues. They're just so good. Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's crazy. <laughs> we did also have a huge influence, which I did not like, with Ermac becoming more zombie-like. Yeah, I didn't think that was a fitting direction for Ermac. I mean, Ermac is an amalgamation of souls. So, yeah, yeah he obviously all these souls are dead, so he should be a zombie. Okay, yeah, you know what? I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that 180. <laughs> I, I just wasn't a fan. And I feel like, because for me, Ninja Ermac is my favorite look for him. I, I like the sort of bandaged head mask, but his alternate costume in MK9 for me was the best Ermac has ever looked. And they really went down this sort of mummification zombie-like process with him in MKX, which I wasn't a fan of. Yeah, I mean, and especially, you know, like the Pharaoh Ermac. I mean, have you seen that one from MK Mobile? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just, it's really out there. It's real. I mean, look, I guess it's good because these kind of alternate costumes, these alternate variations, let them explore like different takes on characters. But that is a bizarre direction for him. I mean, is, is one of the souls inside Ermac Egyptian or something? Like, what is it? <laughs> no, nah, it's just one of those themed skins, you know, it's like Cetrion with her sort of Egyptian skin as well. Yeah, but see, that I could get because it's like, all right, well, she wanted to be worshipped by a bunch of different cultures. So this is how she appeared when she went to ancient Egypt. Ooh, like that, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, see, that one I can work. Yeah, it's fair. But fair O isn't. <laughs> Not for Ermac. I don't know. I think they just went down the whole mummy sort of process, considering he already looked like one with the bandages. Yeah. Not a fan, but I see it, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, they, they would do stuff like that, too. But it really doesn't tie to the lore that well. Like, Elder God Kenshi... Why would Kenshi become an Elder God? Yeah, and honestly, Elder God Kenshi looks just like Fujin, with, but with his short hair. Also, if Elder God Kenshi is a thing, does he get his sight back, or does he still have to be blind, even as an Elder God? The real questions. Yeah. <laughs> These are the things that MK, keep MK fans up at night. For me, I don't take those, those uh, like, the Elder God Kenshi or anything as canon, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, for me, can't. that's just mobile. You can't. Like, like I'm saying, some of these costumes, they really don't tie together to the lore all that well. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I guess all you can say is with Kronika, all things are possible, right? And in some timeline, maybe Kenshi did become an elder god. Possibly. Very possible, actually. Although now we have no idea where he is. No. Let me ask you, uh, what is your favorite all-time Mortal Kombat finisher? Oh, yeah, that would have to be Liu Kang's dragon fatality, especially as they first showed it in Mortal Kombat 2. Oh, yeah. Classic. I mean, look, Liu Kang's dragon is so big in that game, like the sprites for it are so large. They actually had to make the energy bars disappear for it so that you could see it all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you knew something big was going to go down. That's the only fatality they do that with. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I never really noticed that. Yeah, I freaking love it. All right, and we know where, but uh, please tell our listeners who maybe aren't aware, where can they find you? Oh, okay. Well, the number one place that you can find me at is probably YouTube. I am always doing Mortal Kombat lore videos um, on YouTube. So the easiest place to do it is YouTube.com slash Tabmok99. I'm also easy to find uh, on Twitter. I'm pretty active. On Instagram, I'm getting more active. I've even do Twitch streams sometimes. Tabmok99 on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram, but mostly YouTube. Then, of course, if you want to see the Combat Pavilion, all that stuff is still up at tabmock 99 MortalCombatOnline.com. Yes. <laughs> you got, I'm going to have to go through it just for a trip down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Check it out. Look at the look at the screensavers. Look at the Winamp skins. Look at the comics and the animations that people have submitted over the years. I'm going to have to download Winamp just so that I can download a cool Winamp skin. Say the same thing. <laughs> it really whips the llama's ass. <laughs> for those of you who do not know what Winamp is, that is their slogan. It's our, it's our old MP3 player from the 90s, so... Good, good times. Oh, hey, Winamp, Winamp and Mortal Kombat have the same corporate owner now. Did you know that? What, Warner oh. Brothers owns them both? Yeah, like Time Warner bought out AOL, who bought Netscape and Winamp, like back then. <laughs> yeah, like Warner Brothers, Warner's got it all now. I think it's time for another team up. Didn't they close Winamp down? Yes, they did. Uh, sad times. <laughs> 
Well, Tabmock99, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It was a pleasure to have you on the Realmcast. And we hope to have you back. Seriously, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Phantom. Thank you, Yanni. Thank you both. Have a good one, guys. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners for stopping by. We'd like to give a special thanks out to Uppercut Editions for their continued support. You can find them at Encyclopedia MK on Twitter and the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project on Facebook. You can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify. You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat meme realm. 